On today's episode of the Pool Pro Podcast, educator Rudy Stankiewicz discusses his latest endeavor, author. Listen up as he touches on his new book, How to Get Rid of Swimming Pool Algae, and his online certification course for pool pros. The podcast begins now. Welcome back to the Pool Pro Podcast. This is Michelle Cavanaugh with my co-host. Dave Rockwell here. Hey, Dave. For those of you who don't know us, Dave and I, um, I was in the swimming pool industry at the National Swimming Pool Foundation for many, many years on the education side of the industry. And of course, Dave Rockwell, he is a 30 plus year service guy, now does a lot of installation of secondary sanitation systems. And we are so excited that you join us today and listen to our podcast. Thank you so much. This is a great podcast to have a returning guest of ours who we truly appreciate and are always happy to see on the podcast itself. He's a columnist, he's an educator, he's the administrator of the Talking Pools Facebook group. Uh, he's done many things, but the newest thing, and I think it's been probably in the last year or so, maybe a little bit more than that, that Rudy has become an author. He has some best-selling books on Amazon. The one we're going to talk about today is something we're excited about. I know Dave and I have both read it. There it is, How to Get Rid of Swimming Pool Algae. And Dave has read it from cover to cover. I have certainly read it as well. We're excited to have you, Rudy. Thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Dave. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited to chat with you guys again. It's always a pleasure. Yeah. I think it's um, just exactly the right time of year for this to come out because this is exactly the time of year when we, as pool techs, start to, to see algae bloom and start to struggle with it. So um, this will hopefully give us all a, a little bit of a head start on, on how to deal with it this season. I'd love to say that the timing was uh, by design, but <laughs> right? I was shooting for a November release, uh, but there were some delays. As you know, uh, I spent a little yes. bit of time under the knife in uh, yeah. hospital surgery. So what ended up happening is we roll out in the beginning of January and it just happens to work out well with the timing. So I'm gonna take it as a win. Yeah, Take it, it as a win. I don't know anybody that hasn't had delays in when they've been writing a book or something. I know lots of people that have written books <laughs> in the entrepreneurial world, and it seems like every single one of them have had delays of some sort. So I think that's just a normal occurrence. Yeah, just it never goes, you know, plan on it not going the way you think it's going to go. And then that's that's where you win right there. That's really the best way to look at it. Um, whatever you want, whatever you plan on your release date, I'd add in a month or two at a minimum. So it was a lot of fun. Yes. Cool. So <clears throat> talk to me a little bit about the thought process of uh, when you put this book together. It's, I, I'm, uh, I was kind of looking for your just the average thing that we've always seen, uh, point A to point B, if you see this, do that. If you uh, this kind of algae, treat it with this. What you have here is far more comprehensive than that. You, yeah. you get into a lot of um, uh, details about water chemistry so what what was your what was your thought process there well i wanted to look at it the way we would look at it at a job out in the field and initially when i sat down to do this i really just sat down to write maybe a one side of a page text sheet on different types of algae that exist in the industry and this is going back to the beginning of 2018 and what i found was there really wasn't a lot of information out there as far as you know, sci actual scientific research 
on the different types of swimming pool algae that we deal with. There was a little bit on green algae. There was a little bit on mustard algae. And I'll tell you what, I had the hardest time finding anything at all on black algae. So I didn't want to do something that wasn't complete. And I didn't want to bail on writing it because I thought it would definitely have its value. So I just thought to myself, well, how hard can this be? I'll take samples and have them analyzed myself. I know, right? Famous last words. But I reached out, I reached out to some students and the first thing I found was people didn't really want to tell me if they had a pool with black algae in it because I guess they just didn't want me to know their pools had algae. But ultimately somebody came up with one, happened to be local. I went to the pool and I collected some samples. I had some little um, small vials and some Lugol solution to preserve it and found that it is really, really hard to coax algae samples into a vial. <laughs> so, <laughs> but then I, I, I had taken those over to the University of Florida to the psychology department. There's a Dr. Flips over there who's a, a really cool guy and we put them underneath a microscope and this is where it all really began. We saw that there really wasn't much algae in my black algae. Interesting. Not much at all. Um, what we had there though was a thick mat that they had to tease apart and were able to ultimately identify three different genus of cyanobacteria. That was the dominant species in my biofilm. Interesting. Two of, them, two of them were known to be toxin producing. We can talk about that if you want. It's in the book. And one of them was known to be nitrogen fixing, which I think is really super cool because it, you can go through the whole nitrogen cycle and that's kind of where it begins for us in pools. Anyway, I went through a couple of other samples from other pools because I didn't want to take this as, okay, one and done, that must be what this is. So I started pulling samples throughout the state of Florida and in every single case, I found that the primary <laughs> constituent in black algae was some type, some genus of cyanobacteria. And I say some genus because it wasn't always the same. Mm -hmm. Even pools a mile apart from one another had a completely different genus of cyanobacteria. So it was always cyanobacteria. There were always other things in there. There were, you know, slight amounts of, of real algae, but not, not a lot. So what we ultimately figured out was, it's okay, this black algae thing, it's not black. It's not algae. <laughs> it's not really, you can't really say it's cyanobacteria, because even though the, the primary constituent is cyanobacteria, and it does release this uh, slime layer, I guess, that everybody's familiar with, but other things do take harbor in there. So realistically, and looking at this, black algae is, is really a collective community. It's a biofilm. It's a black algae biofilm, or a cyanobacteria biofilm is the best way for us to look at it. So uh, it, a lot of that's what makes it particularly hard to kill. Yeah. Other than other than the fact that it, it seems to find nooks and crannies in the pool where it's very hard to get circulated water and chlorine to them. It, it, we always used to think about this in terms of that it grew root. When we thought of it as algae, we thought of it as growing roots down into the into um, porous sections of the plaster. And it, and it makes sense why people would think that because it doesn't grow roots and we know that. But if you, if you think of maybe a poor plaster surface, a surface that needs to be replastered, the chemistry hasn't been great. And this is where it ties into your original question because the easiest way to, to kill any type of algae 
is to prevent it from being there in the first place. And it's a lot easier to prevent algae growth than it is to kill it. And everybody does know that. But we need to look at all the different factors that can make that a um, place that's conducive to the growth of that, the specific types of algae. So if we focus on eliminating those things, rather yet, I like to say that algae is a symptom. I know we refer to pools as having algae problems, but do we really? Because if you think about it, and, and you mentioned it a moment ago, Dave, every algae problem you have is because of some other problem that's going on. It might be something you can control. It might be something that you can't control. But realistically, if you have algae in the pool, the algae is the symptom and it's due to some other problem. And if we can correct the other problem, we won't have the algae to deal with in the first place. Right. So back to looking at the root scenario, I can definitely see why people would think that because if you have a deteriorating plaster surface, right? Let's say it looks like an English muffin. You get all those different nooks and crannies right. and stuff. But do you remember that um, slime stuff, that uh, gack that the kids would play with? I think they still yes. do, right? That's yeah. like yeah. You know how it just kind of coats and fills everything. So if you were to lay that across that top of a surface that had all those nooks and crannies, it would eventually just fill those voids. Right. And that's what you have with black algae. Black algae doesn't have roots. What it uses to attach to the walls is something that's known as schmear adhesion. And that's what keeps it stuck. So it's not roots. And it does just happen to fill those gaps. And a lot of times, Dave, it starts in those little nooks and crannies. Right. You have a deteriorating plaster surface. You have millions of tiny dead spots in circulation. And we're familiar with dead spots, right? But maybe we don't tie it in as often as we should. And those little tiny dead spots, the water in there doesn't circulate as often. It doesn't get chemically treated as often as the rest of the pool. And it makes for the perfect place for not just black algae, but any type of algae to gain a foothold. And then it starts to grow from there. And of course, it's much more difficult once it's been able to um, move in. Yeah. Where, where I see this type of thing a lot and almost right off the bat is in all tile pools, the grout will start to turn black. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I almost wonder if there isn't contaminants in the grout products themselves, that it starts growing almost immediately when you put water in the pool because um, it happens so quickly that it, it, you know, it just, it, it doesn't have time for it to get into the pool any other way. I'm, I'm wondering anyway, because a biofilm is a complex living or a group of living organisms. It's not just like an algae spore blowing into the pool and finding a spot on the wall and starting to spread. This is, this is a bacterial colony mm -hmm. um, that, I mean, how fast does it grow? You know, algae is not going to show up overnight. We know that. We have a lot of customers that'll tell you, you know, Dave, it was it was clear yesterday. I don't know what happened. Well, right. That's a bunch of crap, Dave. It wasn't clear <laughs> yesterday. And maybe they didn't look at their pool, so they didn't notice it. Maybe they believe it was clear yesterday. But to me, yep. saying it was clear yesterday is a lot like saying I'm having a party on Saturday. I don't think they're really doing that either. But, yeah. <laughs> but. <laughs> You know, if you give yourself, I mean, consider that it's microscopic. If you give yourself a solid week, it's possible that you might start to see the semblance of something. And I don't disagree with you either. There could be contaminants in the grout. It could be that the grout 
is curing improperly, that it's slightly porous when it shouldn't be. You see that in pools where uh, they've added too much calcium chloride to the plaster mix uh, for the you're curing. If they add too much, you end up with um, ultimately with the craze cracks. And then that creates nooks and crannies as well, little dead spots in circulation. And that's that's one of the big things is, is identifying all of those areas. So yeah, it, it definitely could be something along those lines. We have to look at uh, where we get our materials. Just like we know if we get, um, I had, I'll tell you, and, and this is an, an algae thing, but I had a customer in, down in South Florida they had their pool, the vinyl replaced. It was one of those a million gallon pools. So you have to seam the liner in place. So the folks um, from, uh, I forget, I, well, I know who it was, but I'm not dropping names. They came out and they reseamed the liner. Um, and then a week later, their service company came out. They had a contract with somebody to um, maintain the pool and they didn't do everything. Mostly the staff did it, but they came and done the big stuff. And they took and they broadcast cyanuric acid across the surface of the pool. Now in Florida, understand we do have surge pits, so it can be a little bit challenging to get the cyanuric acid into a filter. I wouldn't recommend broadcasting it, but that's what these folks did. When they used an inexpensive cyanuric acid that came from really, really old factories that had a lot of contaminants in it. And within a couple of days, that pool liner had all little brown specks all over the place from the iron that was in the cyanuric acid from the pipes in the factory where it was produced. And unfortunately, um, it sat a good six months or more. And it got to the point where it just polymerized with the liner. And you know, the longer it stains in place, the more it becomes part of the pool. And, and I don't know. Uh, last I heard, they were going to attempt an acid wash. Not the facility, the manufacturer of the liner that, or the people that put the liner in, were going to do it. So I'm assuming it's something that can be done. I've never seen it, but hey, <laughs> I, I don't know where that ended up. So <laughs> okay. Then I'm going to ask. <laughs> go ahead, Dave. I'm sorry. It's a, um, then COVID hit, and I lost track of it. So, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yes, we all did. That was. Uh, yeah, that stopped a lot of momentum in a lot of areas. Um, I, I noticed the one thing about, and you talk about uh, prevention is the best, the best to avoid the problem in the first place. A lot of your book, you go very deeply into water chemistry and water balance. Mm -hmm. um, so what did, what did you find the relationship to be between, we normally think of two sides of water chemistry. One is the sanitizing side and the other is the, the LSI side to prevent scale and corrosion. Um, so what is the, what is the, uh, the LSI side, the, uh, the water balance side have to do with, with algae prevention? Well, I'm less, I'm less um, worried, not that we want it to happen, but I'm less worried about scaling in pools because scale is very dense and it's not typically porous. So we're not really getting those dead spots that we would see with something that's corrosive on the LSI. And then that's when we get back to our English muffin surface that's deteriorated with all the nooks and crannies. So we do have that means of gaining a foothold. Then the other thing we have to think of, I mean, you picked your home where you bought your house for some specific reason. Something about that neighborhood appealed to you more than any of the other neighborhoods out there. 
correct? I mean, the same for me. I love the neighborhood that I'm in, and there's a reason that my house, I bought a house here. It's the same thing, and this ties into a lot of the different water balance factors that we look at. Some of the algae we deal with prefers hard water. Some of the algae prefers a different level of pH. When we start to look at things like total dissolved solids, there's certain levels of TDS that certain types of algae just cannot grow. The higher up it goes, the less bouts with algae that we have. And we know that if you have a saltwater pool, you do tend to have less bouts with algae than you do in a pool that's not a saltwater pool. And what's the difference in TDS, Dave? Saltwater pool, we add three to 4,000 parts per million, or sometimes more, depending on the salt cell, of salt right off the bat, which is increasing our TDS by the three to 4,000 parts per million. You start getting beyond that, well, 1,200 parts per million is brackish water, and we don't see much green algae growing at that point. At 1,800 parts per million, we start to have problems with mustard algae growing. And of course, then mustard algae, the group that that fits into is actually diatoms. So mustard algae, diatoms, diatomaceous earth, when you get DE from the store, what you're actually buying is pretty much prehistoric mustard algae. <laughs> That's what we're using inside the filters. And, but they, they, they don't grow well at a TDS over 1,800 parts per million. And then even cyanobacteria has difficulty growing in water that has a TDS level over 2,400 parts per million. It doesn't mean that those levels will kill it. It means that they have a difficult time growing. It is possible, and we all know that, because I know you have listeners right now saying, hey, I have a saltwater pool on my route, and I've had algae in it before. So it, it does happen, but it doesn't tend to happen as quickly, in my experience. And I think from other folks that I've spoken with, they share that same, same thought. And there's a reason for that. It's not just the, it's the TDS of the water that's keeping it from growing. So then why do we care about, you know, effectiveness of chlorine and saltwater pools because pH is always something that we're dealing with, right? And we know that pH affects the effectiveness of chlorine. So here we have this saltwater pool and we know uh, on full range tests, I've tested it somewhere around 8.4, 8.5. So we know with those levels right there that your chlorine is really only about 9% effective, right? Even though the TDS levels can keep the algae from growing that we normally deal with, we have to keep in mind that bacteria even grows in the Dead Sea. So it is still important that we keep that chlorine as effective as possible because, you know, just because there's something we can't, just because, you know, we can see algae, it's easy. You either see it or you don't, right? I, I think it's always there to a certain extent. And what we do is we maintain it. We keep it at bay. So we keep it, uh, these are microscopic cells. You don't see them until there's a gut zillion of them, but we keep right. them bay. But bacteria, you don't almost, you almost never see. I mean, aside from the biofilms, black algae, white water mold, things along those lines. But, but outside of that, you never see, I mean, you never walk up to a pool and look, oh, there's the cryptosporidium right, right over there. You see, that would make it so That'd much. Great that would make it, do that, so wouldn't it? <laughs> our, our next project is. <laughs> Let's do that. Yeah. My question too, Rudy, is for those, you know, for people that feel like, well, I, I already know how to take care of algae, or I already know this, or, you know, how do you convince people or, or how do you inspire people, I should say, to, to learn more or to, you know, to read a book that they haven't read or to take a course? We're going to talk about your online 
course here in a minute. How do you convince people that have been in the industry a while? Dave's a Dave's a natural learner. He he likes to learn new things. He reads books. He reads articles. You know, he's always looking to learn something new. But a lot of folks, especially service guys in the industry that I've come across, you know, they kind of feel like they they've been around enough and long enough that they pretty much know. So how do you inspire people to take on something new if they feel like they pretty much already know enough about that subject? Well, that's where it gets a little challenging. And we were speaking, yeah. you spoke before this program, before we started uh, videotaping about the course itself and the fact that, you know, the feedback that's been coming back to me is that it's challenging. It's not a beginner course, it's a pro level course. So how do you get somebody with Dave's experience you know, to look into it, to read it. You have to provide material in that publication that is going to be of interest to that person who's been around. There's something new, there's something different. And I think I deliver that. I would say it's right. fair to say, and you know, we didn't have this conversation ahead of time. So I know I'm, I'm throwing myself out there possibly under a bus, but Dave, did you learn anything new in my book? Even just one thing? Um. What I, what I, I can't pinpoint anything that, that just jumped out and go, wow, I didn't know that. What I did see was an assembling of all the, uh, of all the things yes. that I've, I've seen and knowledge I've accumulated and, and kind of tie different pieces of it together in ways that maybe I hadn't thought of, uh, especially the, the black algae, like, like uh, we were just talking about. Um, <clears throat> it makes perfect sense to me. Um, I hadn't given it a lot of thought whether it was true algae or whether it was cyano cyanobacteria, but um, that that really you know kind of brought all that together. Um, and I really like the way that you tied in um, the, the water chemistry, all all sides of the water chemistry issue, circulation, circulation. The the two things that are the best algicides, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. Or chlorine mm -hmm. and water movement. Correct. I can take an ozone pool that has zero chlorine residual, that has algae growing on the walls, and if I point the return line toward that area, the ozonated water moving across it will kill the algae. Correct. It will wipe that. It will wipe that clean. Um, and, but that's especially true, as you know. I, I like to to operate with minimal amounts of chlorine and, and uh, use alternative sanitizers. Algae is always a challenge in these pools. Uh, algae is a spore that blows in on the wind. If there's not a massive amount of chlorine in there to kill it right away before it finds its way onto a wall, you can have blooms and you have to learn how to treat them. But the two things that I, that those are the two things that are absolute key in the pools I manage are uh, having chlorine in there, the right amount at the right time, and, and then water, good water movement. And that that's a whole separate issue uh, right. when it comes to treating or evaluating a pool that has algae. What's the circulation like? Where's the return lines? Uh, they used to build pools out here in, in the 80s and early 90s with one return line. They'd use a one and a half horsepower pump with one, one and a half inch plumbing with one return line that would blast that water through the whole pool. Well, 15 years later, somebody puts a variable speed pump on there, puts it down to 40 gallons a minute or 30 gallons a minute, which is what should be going through inch and a half pipe. 
And all of a sudden you've got no circulation, no water movement in that pool, and you've got algae problems you never had before. I think, and if that's what you picked up in my book, that's probably the most important thing that I set out to do when I formatted this book. Because realistically, a pool is a system. It's not just this, it's not just that, it's not just one piece. And that's why I say that algae is a symptom because it's not always, it's not the problem. There's some reason that it's there. Now it could be that there's a, my pool borders right on a swamp or you know, in other states, maybe a lake. Right. <laughs> I pulled back, I had an area where a lot of really, really nice homes built backed up onto this huge swamp. And that those pools were more prone to getting algae than any other pools on my right. It's still the same conditions. It just wasn't as forgiving, just simply because we're so much closer to the source and the amount of spores that would get in those pools were just so much greater that the odds of something taking off and colonizing increased. But those types of things I can't fix. And, and we talk about that as well. I talk, I go from environmental factors to chemistry. We talk about circulation, filtration, and the very, very last thing in the book that we talk about are algicides because that's where they should be. Algicides are your last resort. Right. I mean, I know if it's there right now and you have a customer, you have to get rid of it quick, quick. But what I'm saying is that there's a process that could have occurred prior to that point. Yes. Building and up. Let's make sure it doesn't happen again. So if you have to use an algicide to take care of it now, make sure you're following the steps, you know, the, the prevention side and all the things you're talking about prior to that. So it because doesn't happen if you again. Don't, because yeah. if you don't, that algicide just became part of your normal maintenance of that pool unless exactly. we fix the reason that it's there in the first place. And that's why we go back and take a look. And I have, um, I talk about it a little bit in the book and I've, I've said this throughout the years as well. One of the things I like to encourage folks to do is think outside the pool, yes. right? We used to say think outside the box, but realistically a pool is just simply a box filled with water. <laughs> I want the same thing. When you're poolside, look around for everything that could potentially lead to a greater uh, possibility of having algae problems or symptoms, algae symptoms in that pool. And if you can identify those, because a lot of times there's things that you can change. There's things you can work with a facility or a homeowner to change. Yep. I mean, we're not gonna make the lake go further away. I know Dave's smiling. They don't want to change anything. I hear you, but <laughs> but, but at least don't you can just do it. Yeah, right. You know, I can have this conversation ahead of time, and I often bring up the screen enclosure example because in Florida we have a lot of screen enclosed pools, and and uh, the folks up north will tell me, you know, we're jealous because of those because you know it keeps all the debris and stuff out, but one doesn't keep critters out. You get a big old gator wants to come in a pool, he's coming right through the screen. Doesn't keep snakes out. You know, Michelle has seen firsthand the amount of snakes yes. that I've pulled out of swimming pools here in Florida. Um, and not all venomous, thank goodness, but I've, I've had my share. But screen enclosures need their own maintenance as well. And if they don't get it, it's going to be a problem. And this is like pulling teeth sometimes, trying to get a homeowner to pressure wash a screen enclosure, preferably twice a year, but I can deal with once. But if they don't do it, all that gobbledygook and that sits up on the top that just sits there and dries and dries and through the winter months we don't get much rain but then March comes along and it's 
downpour downpour <laughs> torrential downpours like we see here in florida and it saturates all of that it drips into the pool and the screens are green and you know i have the when i was doing service i would have those i actually even had that in my um service agreement you must i don't care who cleans it me you you hire somebody screen enclosures must be cleaned at least once a year i wouldn't and i wouldn't dump the customer if they don't but i would remind them and then when the pool starts to suffer because of all the crap up there that ended up in the water i do bring it right back and say hey remember we had this conversation about this this and this and i told you that once we reach the rainy season it could be problematic now, are they going to be happy? Probably not, but at least they will probably somewhere in their head, whether they admit it or not, remember that conversation. It deadens the impact and it can be applied to anything else you see at the property as well. You know, the customers that don't mow the grass, the customers that like to put planters up on the coping, all of those. <laughs> I'll tell you the thing about those screening clothes. Everybody thinks that uh, outside of Florida, you know, I have customers that they have more plants inside those screen enclosures than I think they had in the rest <laughs> of their yard. Seriously, but yes, it's it's, it's an ambiance thing. It's an ambiance thing, Rudy. Was, yes, but it's communication. <laughs> so we think outside the pool. We look around. There's things that are within our control. There's things that are not, and then there's things that are within nobody's control. We try to figure out how to deal with each one of those. Then we look at the water chemistry. We look at all the different things that can affect that. I do get pretty deep into water chemistry. And actually, if you, um, I have some pretty cool demonstrations in that class as well. Michelle knows the, that I love demonstrations. Yeah, he has the best demonstrations, yes. And I have some some new ones that are I think are gonna blow your socks off if you get a chance. And I'll, I'll share that with you guys later so you can take a peek. But, uh, really gives you a good feel for what some of the different things can do. I also like to look at things that, you know, aren't mainstream. And I know, you know, we, we talk about those things as well. So, 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 the, so we talked about how to get rid of swimming pool algae it's on Amazon. You can go to Amazon right now. You can search for Rudy Stankiewicz's name, which if you can't spell it, you can always search for how to get rid of swimming pool algae. And that's on Amazon, like I said. But I want to talk about the online course Rudy, because I know Jerry Wallace, who um, I know very well, and he's been in the industry and the service side, gosh, as a kid. So, you know, he's been on the program a couple of times. Yeah. And we've had him on the podcast a couple of times. I love he Jerry. said that this was a very challenging online course. And again, he's very knowledgeable. So the fact that he found it challenging means that this is something you're going to learn something in this online course. And the great thing is afterwards, once you complete this five-hour course, you get the swimming pool algae online. Oh, no, what is the certification? Oh, it's the Algae Prevention and Eradication Specialist Certification, yes, which you can get and you can print out, you can put it up on your wall and you can share it on your website or whatever you want to do. So Rudy, tell us about this online course. Well, the course basically, it, you know, there's a lot of different information out there on a lot of different things. And, and in the course, I, I do discuss a lot of the things that I speak about in the book, but I talk about a lot of things that I don't talked about in the book either. It's, it's, and I try to do it in the same format. I don't know if you got the feel from reading the book that it was more like we were having a conversation than you were reading a textbook. And that's what I was shooting for because realistically, that's what this is. I'm a pool guy. You know, you're a pool guy. You're a pool woman. We're just talking about algae. That's all. And I'm just sharing with you, you know, my experience. It doesn't mean, and at no point in time do I say in any of these things, if you see this, you have to do this. <clears throat> Right. Because I want, I mean, you're the expert at your pool. I just want to share my experiences so you can put together a better plan. If, 
you know, take those things if you wish. If you don't, that's cool. This is how it worked for me. And the online program is very much the same. Uh, we talk about a lot of the different things that we go through in the book, but then there's a lot of things that have been added to it. And then the benefit of the online program is there are demonstrations in there. There are um, videos of different things that I've done poolside. So I think it does give it a little bit more meat when you can put the visual to it as well. And I set it up not in a normal fashion. Normally what you would do is you would go through these. There's six different modules. It takes five or lectures, they like to call them. I like to call them sessions, but you go through these six different sessions. It takes five hours. There is a 50 question multiple choice test. And yes, I actually um, expect, I encourage people to use the book because like I said, there are things in the book that are not in the video and it is tough. And they're not easy questions, but the format I set them in up in was different in that it's not 50 questions after you're done with the videos. It's 10 questions after five of each of the sections. Nice. On the section that you just went through. But I ask hard questions and I like to ask questions that encourage critical thinking. So I yes. might not ask you a question directly related to something in the book. I might say, I might, um, oh gosh, I'm trying to come up with an example of one I didn't ask. So, but, you, know, you know, but I might say, okay, um, how does a low pH prevent the growth of algae? I mean, that's not a difficult one because we know that chlorine is, I mean, the ones in the, in the, in the sessions are, are more challenging than that, but just an example, there's a little bit of thinking that has to go on because it doesn't really, it's not a question about pH and it's not a question really directly about algae. It's a question about the effectiveness of chlorine at different levels of pH. So I like to try to get people to think as well. Yeah. So you might not find my question in black and white, though the answer is definitely there. You know, the answers are there. You just have to think a little bit about what we've read and then how you would apply that. And that's the way we deal with it out in the field. Right. Right. There's no, this happened because of this. You see something else that tells me that this could have happened. And it starts to get a little bit like, you know, Dr. House. I think that's what we're like when we're out in the field. Not, you know, as far as his process where, okay, this happens if you do this, but we can't identify that. So let's look at this and then we know that. And I mean, we do that. We don't get enough credit for what we do. Cool. Pools text, pool pros, out in yeah. the field. You're, you have to be a detective. You have to be a little bit of a chemist. You have to be a little bit of a scientist. You have to take environmental factors into consideration. You have to consider the people, how often, I mean, everything. And we're really, you know, I, I honestly don't believe any of us get paid enough. So, like, seriously for the amount and and you know and then you get this stigma about the guy in the truck with the pole sticking out of it and it's right. really you know you have no idea what that guy knows right i'll tell you a story i was in um my wife um works a lot uh she was uh she was working she worked with a school she was a v, uh, vp in their admin office but we were at this function and it was one of the first times after she had started working there that I came to one of the functions that it was open to, you know, the plus ones, the spouses, et cetera. So I'm there and this one young lady walks over to me. She's a teacher. I'd never met her before. And she says, hello, and she, you know, introduces herself. And then she says, well, what do you do for a living? 
And I said, oh, and at the time I owned a swimming pool service company. I said, well, I own a swimming pool service company. And she was, oh, that's great. Some people just really don't need to go to college or shouldn't, should they? And I was like, wow, bitch. Sorry, you can keep that out. <laughs> but I, had, I had a very similar uh, experience. Uh, I was talking with a, a friend of my wife's and um, again, she was talking about, you know, what do I do for a living? And I'm like, well, and she had teenage boys. And, uh, I, and I said, well, I'm a, I'm a pool guy. I service swimming pools. And she's like, oh, you know, I'd, I'd like to get my kids and they, they my kids kind of need a mindless job like that again oh, you know, no. your first impulse is want to punch them in the face but you can't do that but there's a young you know but it, it, it then it, it really got me thinking that 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 is the general public's perception of what we do mm -hmm. and from you know i had already been in the process but that even furthered my commitment to at least as far as what i can control about myself I'm going to make that not true. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think all of the all of the great ones do. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, we're never where we say we're, we're never there when we say we're going to be there. We don't answer phones. We don't return calls. All the whole gang. There's a, um, there's a young lady up in Canada. I don't know if Michelle, if you know her, Dave, if you know her name is Amy Lamoth. I think I pronounced No, that. I do not know her. Very, very cool young lady. She's got a lot of knowledge, but she shared this story with me once. She was in a supermarket and she stopped on a hot day and she walked into a supermarket to get herself a bottle of water and she's waiting in line <laughs> and then there's a woman standing behind her with her child and I think she might have actually had a uniform shirt on and she overhears the woman saying see that girl right there she's all she is is a cool girl she's obviously made a lot of bad decisions in her life you don't want to be like her do you <laughs> she's not necessarily wrong <laughs> That well, is horrible, Rudy. It is horrible, despite the decisions I've made in my own life. <laughs> but yeah, I, well, I the mean, other, the thing that also makes me laugh too, Rudy, is the fact that it's not so. And then the the movie world, the entertainment world, makes you pool guys these sexual objects in backyards that all the women want to have cleaning the pools with their shirt off. That's what makes me laugh too. Perception over here, and then you've got the sexy pool guy <laughs> perception over here. It cracks me up every time I see that on a movie. I think of all you guys out there who are having to deal with that that perception i just watched a movie with um jamie fox and i forget the name of it uh, it just came in it's borderline sci-fi horror movie but he's the hero in the movie and he's a pool guy in this movie. oh good you never see anything outside i mean it has nothing to do with pools whatsoever except he drives his pool truck to everywhere that he goes and it's a legit I love it a legit looking pool truck. I mean, you'd see it somewhere on the street. It might not be mine or yours, but you'd see it on the street. So it was actually pretty cool. There's also a couple of um, horror movies. I, I watched one not too long ago about a guy that whenever he sees water, he becomes enraged and wants to drown people. So he takes a job oh at the pool. <laughs> ah, I love it. Down. We're just, you know, we're just yes. but, you know, but we do well, the, the, you know, the bright side to it, the, the, the side that everybody should get a kick out of is, is that, you know, you probably have more in your bank account than that person who's knocking you. I mean, realistically, I mean, it's, it's, you're, you're very, very knowledgeable. People don't realize that pool pros, if they do the job correctly, can easily clear six figures. 
yeah. whether they're at this point, that point now, or they're working toward that point, it is a realistic goal. And, and that's what the outside world doesn't do. So we, even though it hurts initially when people, you know, throw mud things, yeah. and say those things, you know, I, I know that I'm doing well and they can say yeah. what they want and I might be doing better than they are. So just whatever. And <laughs> so I think to the reason for this podcast, Dave and I are very dedicated to helping to elevate those in the swimming pool industry who are the, because everybody you see that is doing really well, it's because they have knowledge and they have taken their craft seriously enough to always continue to learn, including you, Rudy, you know, it's always continuing to learn. You're talking to researchers and you research things and talk to scientists and so forth. It's always elevating the level of knowledge you currently have and trying to figure out the next step. And a lot of this podcast is dedicated to that type of perspective. Well, and that's, and that's really the key. It really is because I believe in paying it forward. I believe that people shouldn't have to reinvent the wheel. I don't think that somebody who comes into the industry today, brand new, should have to start at square one if they don't have to. So I wanted to put something together where instead of, you know, them having to figure out how to get to where I am, it's more like a relay right? You can take that baton and here they come and maybe I'm on my way out. <laughs> I can pass the baton and then let's see how much further they can take it. I mean, that's how we make the industry better. Yeah. And yes. that's why, I mean, my book, my course, they're both extremely affordable. They're not, it might be the hardest class out there, but it's definitely not the most expensive. I have it at $199.99. Um, so just under 200 and the book itself, you know, it's a lot of information in there. That's 29.99. You can get it on Kindle or 9.99. I wanted this yep. to be extremely affordable and that's yes. what I was shooting for. I want to pass the baton. I'm old. I just went through a surgery where, and you know, for the past year, I couldn't hardly even walk. Um, right. Michelle's known me for a great while longer. So we've known this was coming. Luckily they, we got it figured out and now we're starting to go in the other direction, but I wanted to be able to put this down and if it helps folks out there, then that's what I wanted to achieve with this. And that's, that was what my goal was. Yeah. And before we get the discount code that Rudy's offering, Dave, I yes. know you had a comment on the whole elevating the industry. Well, and that's, that's kind of what this podcast started out as we, we it's about the journey most of us started out with the board shorts and flip-flops and the poles sticking out of the back of our trucks we, we rode with a guy who did pools and thought well this is kind of cool i love being outdoors i love so many things about this the level of training that was available 30 years ago it's like the guy who taught me was flash testing o, oto drops in the pool and checking the ph the same way and it's like you know, the guy taught me horrible habits and, and it wasn't until I started going to classes and, and hearing people like Wayne Ivesich and Bob Lowry and, uh, you know, hearing these guys going, you know, if you call yourself a professional and you're doing these things, you're not doing your job. You don't, you don't belong calling yourself a professional if you're, if you're not doing things a certain way. And so now... I feel really good about that, 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 like you said, that as a place to start in the industry, there are classes, there are online forums, there are um, yeah. Facebook groups and Instagram that 
you, you right off the bat, you can start and, and you'll, you'll see bad advice. You'll see, but you'll also see guys get lit up for, for doing it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and, and um, so the, just, just the, the, the amount of really quality information that's available, just that you can get by osmosis, but also just the importance of starting with a, a basic CPO class Yes. Um, is such a good comprehensive uh, overview, 40,000 foot view of yeah. what your job should be as, as a pool professional, uh, how to manage a pool, what the things that you should know. And it's not an end all and be all that certificate doesn't mean, Hey, I'm an expert and I'm, but it's a place to start and it's a place to go. Okay. Well, I learned a little bit about this. I understand basic water chemistry here's where I can drill down and learn more that I need to, it, there's so many things. It just, it tells you what you don't know, basically, and what you should know. I think and, the CPO and the AFO and those types of programs create a tremendous foundation on which to grow on. And yeah. you're right, it's an A to Z. It covers a little bit of everything. It doesn't make you an expert. So we shouldn't expect to be an expert after we take the CPO. We should expect to have learned a bunch yeah. of stuff. We should expect yeah. to retain a bunch of stuff. But then yeah. after that, then we look more toward um, focused or specialized training where you can get into subjects extremely yes. deeply. And this uh, course that I put together, this book that I put together, I like to say it's its first of its kind. I don't know of any other focused specialized training on algae that exists, but it's a focused program, something like this, or, or maybe you know Dave puts together something on filtration and those right. types of things. That's where we go from there. We took the CPO. You've got to keep it going. If you really want to get to that next level, education in the industry is a never ending thing. Yep. And you mentioned a list of places where we could find that. And I would like to include podcasts in that list because if you're not listening to podcasts, you miss a lot of the new things that are coming out. Right. You'll miss yeah. a lot of opportunity, whether you learn something on the podcast or not. And we talked a little bit about some characteristics of some different things at the beginning. And so maybe, you know, some folks picked up some things there. But, you know, a lot of people listening to this didn't know that I had this, don't know about a lot of other courses that are out there yeah. and where you learn about them. You learn about them in your trade magazines, you learn about them in your podcast. We have to make sure that, you know, we pick up those things as well. Absolutely. Yeah. For those of you who want to take advantage of this particular online course for Rudy that Rudy made, um, besides the book, like I said, you can go to Amazon right now and buy the book there. But if you want to take advantage of the online course, Rudy is doing a special offer for the listeners of the Pool Pro Podcast. You can actually go to cpoclass.com and it'll direct you there to the online course. But there's an actual code to get a 50% off the $199 price. You're talking about 100 bucks off here, really, to take this course and, and have access to this knowledge. And that court that and I'll we're gonna put put it up on the screen for the YouTube listeners. We're gonna put it up on the screen so you can actually um, see that particular course. But for those of you who are actually listening via Spotify or iTunes, go to our YouTube channel. Pool Pro Podcast is on YouTube. You can subscribe there. But then at the end of that video, you'll actually see the the um, the code to get the fifty percent off the course. Yes. Did you want to add something else, Dave? I think I cut you off there at the end. No, I'm just nodding my head in agreement. Okay. 
you know, YouTube, a lot of times the YouTube channel is better to watch on or even listen on. You can still put put the push to play button and listen in your car. But a lot of times we somebody, a, a particular podcast guest may show a slide or something like that, where sometimes YouTube channel is an easier way for you to, you know, when you stop or you have lunch, you can actually see what's on screen. And I think it's always nice to see faces. Oh, yeah. It's a really important button on the YouTube channel. It's called subscribe. Exactly. We, we need, we need yeah. listeners. We need subscribers. We, we don't do this for money. We do this for, for fun and for to help out where we can. Um, so the, the more we can verify that people are listening to us, the, the more it helps us. It does. Agreed. Do you have any final thoughts, Rudy, before we depart today? I'm just so happy that you guys had me on, that I get a chance to talk to your listeners again. I know a bunch of folks who listen to your program on a regular basis, and hopefully I'll, I'll know some more over time. And everybody speaks highly of it. And, you know, there are folks who really have an interest in education and furthering themselves. And that's yes. why people come here. So I'm excited and flattered and humbled that you guys, you know, wanted to have me on again. It's always Thanks a pleasure, for coming. Rudy. Thank yeah, you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much.